Welcome to another episode of the Miso TV podcast. Today we are joined by a panel of medical oncologists from the MD Anderson Cancer Center, Johns Hopkins, and the Cleveland Clinic to discuss a new clinical trial, Dreamer, a phase three study into the efficacy of combination chemotherapy with immunotherapy as first-line treatment for mesothelioma. MesoTV is a video program adapted to audio only for this podcast, produced by the Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation, a national 501c3 nonprofit organization. The Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation provides patient support and education services, funds peer-reviewed research, and advocates for increased funding of mesothelioma research. This 2021 season of programming is made possible with the support of our generous sponsors. They are MRHFM, Bellican Fox, Bristol Myers Squibb, Novacure, Merck, The Gory Law Firm, and Early Lucarelli Sweeney and Mysicothan. Visit curemiso.org to learn more. Hello. Uh, today we really have a wonderful panel of guests. Um, some of the top experts in mesothelioma in the country. Uh, we have Dr. Ann So, we have Dr. Patrick Ford, and we have Dr. James Stevenson. So uh, I think, Dr. Um, so I'll start with you. Would you just tell us a little bit about where you're situated um, and, you know, uh, a little bit about your practice area? Yes, thank you so much for having me, Mary. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So I'm based in Houston. I'm at MD Anderson Cancer Center, and we have a very committed dedicated program for mesothelioma. Um, we are very interested in clinical research. So that's a big um, part of our program, but we also do translational studies. And so we have a mesothelioma interest group that conducts a lot of our translational and basic science research in the disease. So Dr. Sol, if you don't mind, could you tell us a little bit, you know, what is transla uh, translational research? What does that term imply? Sure. So the only way that, well, we believe the only way that we're going to make progress in the field is if we understand the cancer better. And so in many of our clinical trials, we do collect specimens from tumor tissue or from blood. And those basically are taken to the laboratory where we look for different types of proteins or genetics, markers that could tell us whether a patient is more likely to respond to a particular treatment. So that whole process is what we call translational research. Um, and there's many different types of translational research you can do. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Dr. Ford, would you tell us a little about yourself and where, and where you are? Sure, Mary. I'm um, a thoracic medical oncologist. Um, originally from Ireland. I'm actually in Ireland at the moment. But uh, the... So I've been at Johns Hopkins now for the last 10 years, um, and I direct the Thoracic Oncology Research Program there. Um, one of my particular interests is in mesothelioma, um, and I've been involved in, in developing clinical trials in that area, and as Dr. Sill mentioned, also in terms of uh, translational research, which I think is, is key. Um, we have a biospecimen protocol for all our patients, both with with other thoracic malignancies and with mesothelioma, where we we ask um, if possible and if the situation is right to collect blood and and tumor samples, so we can um, hopefully learn for patients for both that patient and for patients in the future. Um, I'm also been involved in developing the Dreamer trial, building another work uh, we've been doing here in the U.S. Thank you, and Dr. Stevenson. 
I feel like you're a Mesothelic TV star. We've been interviewing you a lot recently, and thank you so much. I've been getting such positive feedback. So thank you. Thanks, Mary. Uh, again, glad to be a part of this group. Um, so uh, I also am a thoracic medical oncologist uh, here at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, active clinical investigator with trials, certainly uh, with an uh, emphasis on, on Dreamer that we're talking about today. And uh, I've been here at the Cleveland Clinic for um, nine years now. And as you know, prior to that, I worked at the University of Pennsylvania for many years with a uh, you know, multidisciplinary team there uh, that did a lot of groundbreaking uh, multimodality research. And it's been interesting, the uh, change from kind of seeing mesothelioma patients on the East Coast, as I'm sure Dr. Uh, Dr. Ford notes, with um, many patients having either a background in the naval service or um, uh, shipyard workers. And now here getting more of a kind of a Midwestern um, feel in Cleveland, still seeing a lot of mesothelioma, but but patients with different backgrounds, many, you know, who were exposed to asbestos in different ways, the automotive industry, the steel industry, um, construction. So uh, this has really been a different experience for me here in terms of the types of patients and seeing, um, you know, where patients might have been exposed to asbestos prior to their diagnosis. So, uh, you know, again, we're um, very busy here and uh, again, happy to be a part of a network that's involved in trials like this. Thank you. So Dr. Ford, um, I know that you've been involved with this um, quote unquote dreamer trial for a while. So could you tell us a little bit about the background about this trial, how it developed? Sure, um, Mary. So back around 2015, 2016, um, we were seeing data from other tumor types, most notably lung cancer, where chemotherapy was being combined successfully with this new class of drugs called PD-1 or antibodies. Um, and we worked at that time with a cooperative group of all the oncologists um, here in the US um, in, uh, through the ecog Akron group, uh, which is one of the cooperative groups, but across cancer centers, both local cancer centers, co uh, community centers, and also academic hospitals. To, to open a trial which was called PRE-0505. Um, and that trial was open at 15 centers across the US um, and we enrolled 55 patients where they received standard chemotherapy for mesothelioma along with an immunotherapy medicine called dervalumab. And dervalumab is approved for a lot of other types of cancer including lung cancer. Um, and so in this study, we gave the standard chemotherapy, which is cisplatin and along with dervalumab to patients. And we were looking to see um, how their tumors responded to the, to the treatment and also um, their survival with the treatment. Would it be significantly longer than their survival expected with chemo alone? And we presented those results at the, at the ASCO annual meeting last year, which was it's kind of where all the clinical oncologists in the US and the world really get together and discuss all of the advances in that past year. And this was selected for presentation and we discussed the results and we, and we showed that patients um, lived a significantly longer time with cisplatin, pemetrexid and this immunotherapy medicine, dervalumab, um, compared to what we would have expected with chemo alone. At the same time, and I think for, for rare cancers like mesothelioma, we really have to work with all collaborators and internationally. My colleague, uh, Professor Nowak, who's based in Perth in Australia, 
she was running a similar trial of chemotherapy with dervalumab and she saw strikingly similar results. Um, survival was longer than you would have expected with chemo alone. So together we worked over a period of about a year and a half to two years to put together this trial, um, which is called the DREAMER trial. Um, it's building, I think in Australia, they were better off at uh, better at coming up with good names for things. So their trial was called DREAM. So we decided that to keep things in people's mind, we call it DREAMER. It's also called PREO506. And this trial is now opening across Australia, New Zealand, and the US. And it's comparing chemotherapy with Dervalumab, standard chemotherapy with Dervalumab to chemo alone. Um, and um, the, the way the trial is structured is patients would be enrolled, um, they would be uh, so assigned via randomization procedure to either one of the two arms of chemo with Dervalumab or chemo alone. And the patients who are on the chemo alone arm would continue chemotherapy for four to six sessions, which is the standard. Um, and those on the chemo with Dervalumab arm would continue on chemo Dervalumab and then continue on maintenance Dervalumab. Um, mm -hmm. Those patients who are on the chemo alone arm would have the option to receive immunotherapy in the future. So that's important to keep in mind. Um, immunotherapy mm -hmm. is available as a second line option for patients here. Um, and it would be an option including mifilimumab um, and volumab. So that study is open at Dr. Stevenson Center. It'll also be open soon at Dr. So Center and, at, and at, a, at 30 centers across the US. So I guess, Dr. So, my question to you is that, you know, we've seen some really good activity um, using these drugs together. Um, so why do we move into a randomized trial? Um, you know, what's the purpose of that? Because people, you know, do want to know and if they understand maybe the rationale is helpful. Well, the standard of care right now in the United States still is chemotherapy. And so in order to actually get new registrational approval, you have to conduct the randomized trials. So we don't really have a choice, mm -hmm. although none of us, I think, really like these randomized studies. It's, it's necessary for us to get FDA approval. And I think mm -hmm. also we want to be sure that the preliminary or initial results, I would say, that were so positive hold up in a larger sample size. Or perhaps more mm -hmm. importantly, we figure out which of our patients benefit the most from this particular mm -hmm. regimen. There's been some recent FDA approvals with um, Opdivo, Yervoy, or Ipilimumab, Nivolumab, uh, the Checkmate 743 trial. And so that is an option for our patients, but we haven't been able to study combining chemotherapy with immunotherapy yet in the patients um, who are being treated for mesothelioma. Thank you. So Dr. Stevenson, um, you know, I guess now we're going to be looking at this combination. Um, so what do we know about the side effects when you, when you combined, um, you know, immunotherapy with chemotherapy? Um, are we talking about significantly more side effects or, you know, what, what can you tell us? Yeah, I, I think, you know, what, what we found generally is that these are uh, just uh, effects that are, that are not, um, we don't see anything more than we would expect with these drugs in terms of putting them together. Mm -hmm. So there were no really new signals um, in the, the mm -hmm. prior mesothelioma studies, nor in, in, I think we have the, the great, the largest experience with using chemotherapy and immunotherapy in non-small cell lung cancer and small cell lung cancer diseases, which we also mm -hmm. uh, treat. And um, 
again, it's uh, number one, we've seen the improvement in survival that combining chemo and immune therapy uh, provides in these diseases and the fact that they are tolerated, um, mm -hmm. that they were able to be given in combination followed by maintenance immunotherapy. So we've seen that the major steps forward in, in, these, in lung cancers with, the, with this type of combination so that there's really all the reason to be hopeful that this could be a future standard of mm -hmm. care in mesothelioma, but we of course need to conduct the trial. Thank you. And um, Dr. Ford, what type of patients are you looking for? I think, Barry, um, for, for patients who have just been given the diagnosis of mesothelioma, pleural mesothelioma, it can be a frightening time. Um, and I think uh, mm -hmm. a step back is important. I always say to my patients, especially when you're dealing with, uh, so with stage four cancer, as mesothelioma often is, or the equivalent of it, sometimes it's more important to take a step back and look at your options rather than going on the treatment that's immediately offered next week to you, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And I, there are centers across the U.S. where, where um, this trial will be available. Almost every geographic region in the U.S. will have the trial available, and there are often ways to support people to travel as well if they wish. Um, it will be open at community centers and academic centers. I think we saw mm -hmm. from the previous study I mentioned, um, pre-0505, and also from the DREAM trial, that patients who have epithelioid mesothelioma in particular um, did well in that trial. Uh, we saw probably the mm -hmm. long survival. I don't like to get into figures on, on survival, to be honest with you, because right. mm -hmm. nobody is an individual, but I think we pro saw probably the longest survival for epithelioid mesothelioma in those two studies. And we particularly think this trial would be good for patients with newly diagnosed epithelioid mesothelioma where they have not received prior treatment. And that's the more common type of mesothelioma. Um, mm -hmm. But other types of mesothelioma are definitely welcome to, to discuss with their oncologist and approach us. And I think we'd be very happy, any of us across the country who are involved in this study to discuss it with your oncologist or, or go through the pros and cons. Um, the other thing is we, we, we have done a lot of kind of scientific analysis of the specimens from patients in, in both the DREAM trial and the pre-0505 trial. And that also supports the idea that perhaps some patients who don't have asbestos exposure, um, which is not always clear, but some patients it's very clear they probably did not have clear asbestos and patients who may have a family history of cancer, they may also benefit from this regimen. Um, mm -hmm. Dr. So mentioned the Checkmate 743 study, and in that trial, a lot of the benefit appeared to be for patients with non-epithelioid cancers. Um, mm -hmm. so, so in particular, we, we hope that chemo plus immunotherapy may be a new option for patients with epithelioid disease. Thank you. Dr. So, when you see a new patient, um, do you present both surgical options and a medical oncology option? Um, you know, are patients, you know, able to sort of start to make those type of decisions about whether they want to move into surgery or move into chemotherapy and a clinical trial? Well, we absolutely want to try to offer surgery if we can. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. as you know, a lot of our patients aren't able to receive surgery because their disease may mm -hmm. be more advanced or they may have other conditions that would preclude them from being a good surgical candidate. 
And so it's incredibly important to emphasize that what we're learning about mesothelioma, in my opinion, I think every mesothelioma patient should be able to receive an immunotherapy at some point in their treatment. You know, these immunotherapies mm -hmm. stimulate your own immune system to go after the cancer. And what we're learning from checkmate 743, as well as what we learned from the confirmed trial, is that immunotherapies can be very important and maybe using them adjunctively in the patients that may not be the big responders, you know, up front, but giving it with chemo may be incredibly beneficial for them. And that's exactly what the Dreamer 3 study is looking at. And, you know, we all certainly are hoping that we enroll quickly to this study so that we can mm -hmm. move forward to get registrational approval for all patients. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Stevenson, I know you don't have the protocol in front of you, but I'm just wondering, um, do you know the timing of the first assessment? So in other words, patients would start on the clinical trial. When would they have their first scan to see whether or not they may be responding? I believe it's after two treatments. Is that correct, Patrick? Okay. So it would okay. be six weeks on average? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. correct. Mm -hmm. So very similar to what we see that in uh, chemotherapy. So after that second, okay. So this way, yeah. you know, I, I think sometimes for patients to know that you know, you're agreeing to a commitment over this period of time, and if things are working or stable, we certainly can continue on. But if not, you haven't lost a large window. You still have that opportunity to look at other uh, other treatments. Yeah, and I think mm -hmm. another thing I would keep in mind, and we so we went through, I also treat lung cancer, Mary, but we went through this mm -hmm. situation where we were all thinking we were going to switch to immunotherapy only for the treatment of lung cancer. And for many of our patients, chemoimmunotherapy is probably the optimal treatment, you know, um, mm -hmm. where immunotherapy on its own does not work. So I think while we do have the, the Yervoy and an Opdivo option there, and it's, it's an option for, for everyone, you know, I think there are certain patients, if I myself had mesothelioma and it had characteristics, for example, epithelioid, I would definitely think of, of trials like this as an option where I'm not even involved in the study because... We've seen in other diseases, while immunotherapy can be the answer on its own for some patients, it's not for everyone. And combinations are probably the way to go for a lot of patients, you know, such as this one. And Mary, I'd like to also make the point that the immunotherapies take longer to work than chemo. Mm -hmm. For many of our mesothelioma patients where we need to bulk reduce their cancer quickly for symptoms mm -hmm. or um, because it may be in a location that could potentially be life-threatening if we don't act. Mm -hmm. Doing chemotherapy mm -hmm. with immunotherapy may give us a faster response. And so it may also be quite appropriate for a biphasic or sarcomatoid mesothelioma. Um, and remember, there is also maintenance immunotherapy after you give chemo plus mm -hmm. the immunotherapy. Yeah, so they so they really will be on treatment for quite some time and hopefully continuing to reap the benefits. So, Dr. Stevenson, you know, I'm sure you're here in your practice, and I certainly hear some time in the groups, I don't want to be a guinea pig. So how do we speak to patients about clinical trial participation, um, and how, as you as a medical oncologist, how do you feel about this? Well, I think that... Uh... The, that conversation can, can be different depending on um, the, the type of trial you know, that, that we might be able to offer to patients. Uh, a trial like this, where, you know, which is a phase three trial, where we're looking to build on the standard of care, we at least you know, can tell patients that you know, at, 
you will be getting standard of care treatment um, mm -hmm. and potentially with the additional agent added in. Uh, and in this case mm -hmm. with Valumab, which is a drug which is already approved for use in other cancers, we have a lot of experience with it uh, in, mm -hmm. uh, in lung cancer. It, it's something that we can comfortably you know, talk to patients about in terms of expected side effects. And so I think it's, this trial is, um, it is not difficult to really, for us to be, feel strongly about when we see patients uh, because mm -hmm. of the agents that we're dealing with. The, the other thing to mm -hmm. note about this trial, I don't know if Dr. Ford had mentioned this, is that the randomization is a, what we call a two to one randomization. So that mm -hmm. for patients who enter the trial, there's a, a, basically a two thirds chance that they would be randomized to the immunotherapy plus chemotherapy arm, which mm -hmm. I think also makes it attractive. And you know that was built into the design of the trial. So mm -hmm. this is, uh, um, and of course, everybody will be getting some active therapy. There are no placebos involved. And this is not like a phase one trial where we're talking about experimental therapies that maybe are being tried in mm -hmm. patients with lots of different cancers. Um, this mm -hmm. is directed just to pleural mesothelioma patients, frontline treatment. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think it's, it, it, I think as, as we all know as well, I think out of the many types of patients we see, I tend to believe that mesothelioma patients are patients who come to us looking for trial options many times. So mm -hmm. it, it also is um, generally something that, that we're all on the same page with, you know, the patients and their families, mm -hmm. uh, so which is, I think, a large reason why all of us here today are passionate about mesothelioma and, and clinical trials for these patients because of, of, of uh, our, our, what we've come to learn about them and their families uh, over the years of mm -hmm. treating them. Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, we, we're all supposed to be extremely objective, but we are fond of this patient population. I mean, you know, we've worked with, you know, them so long that, you know, the well-being of the patient and family members is so important. So, um, Dr. Ford, I guess my next question for you would be, um, you know, I'm thinking about the clinical trial and patients with insurance. Um, do we have to worry about our insurance? Um, how are these clinical trials covered? Yeah, so, so, so it's a process, um, Mary, where you see, um, so usually when you come to a center where the trial is opened and you come to see a doctor to discuss the trial, usually your insurance will have been cleared for that visit. Um, mm -hmm. And um, if you decide to enroll in the trial, we will often send um, what's called insurance clearance, where we send the details of the clinical trial to your insurance company and they review it. And essentially we're not asking them to fund the research or the, the, the clinical research element. They're really funding the, the standard treatment at that center. So if you're coming to Hopkins or Cleveland or the Anderson, it's just, mm -hmm. so can you have routine bloods and that sort of thing there. And I would say for my mesothelioma patients, more than 95 to 99% of patients, we do obtain insurance clearance. So in, in general, I wouldn't say, um, clinical trial participation adds significantly to your to your out-of-pocket costs. Um, and there are, as I mentioned earlier, there are often ways we can help with travel or um, particularly if you're participating in a clinical trial um, to a center. And there are hopefully going to be 30 centers across the US. And we planned prospectively to try and cover every geographic region. And I think we've been reasonably successful mm -hmm. in, in doing that. 
And how many patients uh, do we need to accrue for this trial? The goal is here in the U.S. to accrue a total of 240 patients. Um, we, we, we activate the study in, in, in April, so we're working on, um, there's been a total, I think, 25 patients enrolled so far. Um, mm -hmm. So working on ways we're um, soliciting feedback from our investigators and from Dr. So, who's on the steering committee for this trial, and from Dr. Stevenson. Mm -hmm on how best to, to run this trial for, for our patients and from you, Mary, and from, uh, mm -hmm. from patients who have thoughts on how we can make this trial most accessible to patients and make it most patient-centered um, mm -hmm. as we can. So I, I guess the most important message, first of all, for patients now that are newly diagnosed is, you know, if you've received a diagnosis, stop. You know, get yourself to an expert, have these type of discussions with you know, the three doctors that are here plus other sites that are conducting clinical trials, do not start therapy ahead of time because if you initiate therapy, you'll not be eligible for the clinical trials. So, you know, speak with your doctor if you've seen a doctor who does want to start therapy and tell them you have an interest in clinical trials and ask them if they will help to facilitate. Um, because I know sometimes people worry about, is there a delay? Will that delay impact me? And if they haven't had an opportunity to meet with you yet, their physician can speak with you one-on-one -on -one to determine if, you know, they have that extra week or so to get qualified for the clinical trial. Yeah, and I think, so, Mary, um, it's important to keep in mind for, for, for cancers like mesothelioma that most oncologists mm -hmm. see one patient a year or one every two years with mesothelioma. Um, so I think reaching out to to an, to a center of excellence in so in your region is very important, or to you and to the mesothelioma mm -hmm. research station for advice. I think that's a good first step when you're diagnosed with this disease. Thank you. So I think we've uh, covered the trial well. Does anyone have anything they'd like to add, or maybe I've missed asking you something? All right. Well, thank you for your time, and Dr. Ford and. Dr. So, Dr. Stevenson, just keep me appraised of how, you know, the accrual is going and what the foundation can do to make sure that we get this data so we can move the field forward. So, again, thank you for your time today. It was a pleasure to see you all. Thank you. Have a good 4th of July. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Mary. Thank you, Mary. See you, everybody. Bye-bye.